Hello, it's Wednesday, December the 1st. I'm Andrew Pearce and this is The Andrew Pearce Show coming from, as ever, the Daily Mail Newsroom. Coming up, are you missing online bargains because of scalper bots? Yes, I didn't know what they were either, so stay tuned. It's day three of the trial of Ghislaine Maxwell in New York. We'll be bringing you the latest. Nigel Farage has interviewed his very old friend, Donald Trump, for GB News. And Donald Trump was incredibly rude about the Duchess of Sussex. But first... Mixed messages from the government about Christmas parties. Will you go to your Christmas party or should we be cancelling them because of the threat from the new COVID variant? The hospitality sector has raised the alarm about the government's messaging about limiting socialising in the Christmas period. The industry has suffered enormously from COVID-19 restrictions and industry chiefs fear that government messaging over the Omicron variant might scare the public out of their Christmas bookings. I'm joined now by Kate Nichols, who is the chief executive of UK Hospitality. Thank you for coming on. Uh, Jenny Harries, who, of course, was a former senior medical advisor to the government, she's now the chief executive of the UK Health Security Agency. She effectively said we should uh, limit social uh, socialisation as much as we can. The Prime Minister flatly contradicted her. Are you hoping that people will heed the Prime Minister's words rather than hers? So I think what we would hope is that the consumers listened to, to the Prime Minister and the Health Secretary, both of whom came out very strongly yesterday afternoon, to say that the government's measures on booster jabs, on testing, on masks, were sufficient and recognised the investment in ventilation and sanitation so that there was no need to cancel Christmas festivities and bookings and that people could socialise safely. So we would hope that uh, consumers got that message rather than uh, the, the more unhelpful one from, from an advisor suggesting that there should be any limits on it. Um, and I think that that's a message that government has consistently emphasised over the last couple of days. So very much keeping our fingers crossed that that holds true and that the government is able to lift these uh, modest restrictions as soon as practically possible. How big a part of the income of your members, Kate, is December? And bearing in mind, December was virtually written off last year because of Covid. Absolutely. I think, you know, this comes on the back of 18 months of below profitability trading. We lost Christmas, we lost Easter, we lost the start of the summer season. It can't be overstated how important the Christmas season is for our, our members' businesses. Around a third of their profits are generated in, in, in the run-up to Christmas between Halloween and New Year's Eve, and that's a vital trading period for them to be able to guarantee they've got bookings, guarantee they've got revenues coming in, and these are not a normal four weeks. So without that Christmas trade, that positive Christmas trade and the contribution it makes, businesses would not be able to survive the quieter months of January to March. So, you know, without the Christmas season, I very much fear that more businesses will become unviable and that we will see business failures and job losses. I was just going to ask you finally on that. How many businesses have you lost and how many people have lost their jobs in your sector, Kate, since the pandemic struck? Since the start of the pandemic, we've lost 10% of our businesses, so over 10,000 premises closed for good over the course of the pandemic. 660,000 people lost their jobs as a result of that. And really, the question now is, is can we make sure that these businesses survive into the new year so that they can have a, a hope of starting the recovery? And it's such an important industrial sector for the economic recovery overall. So it's not just my members and the people whose jobs are dependent upon their businesses, but it's the whole economy that needs hospitality to thrive, to continue to invest 
and to create those good quality jobs that all parts of the country. Indeed, that's Kate Nichols, who's the Chief Executive of UK Hospitality. Thanks for joining us. Visit mailplus.co.uk to listen to The Andrew Pierce Show for free, in full, along with our other podcasts and video series. Don't forget to tell your Alexa speaker to play Daily Mail News. Donald Trump is to appear on GB News tonight in what they're billing as a world-exclusive interview with his old chum, Nigel Farage. The interview, which was recorded on Monday, touches on Trump's presidential election defeat to Joe Biden, the subsequent Capitol Hill riots, Black Lives Matters, the migrant crisis in the US and the UK. Oh, and he's incredibly rude about Meghan Markle. So what can we expect from Donald Trump. Joining me to discuss this is former worldwide vice president of Republicans overseas and a member of the Trump 2020 presidential campaign, Jan Halper-Hayes. Jan, from what I've read about the interview, Donald Trump is by no means considering his days in frontline politics are over. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. But here's the interesting thing. I think we have to, in terms of news and talking about him, move away from this being about Donald Trump. He is taking a very, very strong role in endorsing candidates that have the America first policy. We've encountered too many rhinos. That means Republicans in name only. And he's actually having fun being a kingmaker. He's enjoying what he's doing to help people with their own careers. So what he's, he's supporting candidates who may yet run to be a governor or, or congressman um, who he thinks are hewn, if you like, in his image. Again, this is not in Trump's image. It is right. really the America first policy. Okay. okay? I mean, it, no one wants to be in Trump's image, but there are certain policies that a vast number of people subscribe to. And the people that he's supporting are the people that are running in a primary, um, possibly against a current Congress man or woman that is what we call rhinos. And he is making a great effort to draw out the right people to be the right politicians to guide our country. And give us a few examples, if you would, Jan, of policies which illustrate America first. One is that uh, you don't give in to the Democrats on the debt ceiling. What we really need to do is we have got to bring our costs down. We don't want to add to them. Um, and the fact that he, where the neocons want to get us back into a war, he is absolutely against that. What he's also been doing on the, on the grassroots level, and that's really where it's coming from, is that uh, the mama bears, as they're calling, but it's actually moms and dads, um, have been outraged as to what has happened in educating our children in schools. So they have not only gone to school board meetings and complained, they've thrown school board members out and have run for that. He's supporting them on that level. You will see endorsements for a mother in Iowa um, that had started just a little campaign that because of his endorsement, it spread and it has gone across the country. The other thing is that he's supporting a guy named Dan Schultz who developed a precinct strategy. And what that means is that when we lost this election, over 200,000 seats were open in the Republican Party in states, cities and counties. 
And he has been supporting the people that want to step up and make some changes. In terms of America First, it's not anything different than how he was guiding us. It is completely opposite to what Biden is doing. And it's becoming more and more important for both sides. Um, The poll numbers, what we find so fascinating in relation to Biden is that it's really the independents that hold the success of an election in their hands. And the independents are moving away from a Bernie Sanders to appreciate that we have to take care of our country first before we're giving 500 million to Pakistan for girls' education about something. And it's those kinds of policies that we all would like to get rid of. And just finally, Jan, what's your hunch? Does will Trump, I know, I appreciate you say this isn't about him personally, but do you think Trump will be, will run again as a contender to be the uh, Republican nominee next time? Well, Andrew, that's a more complicated question because there's other factors that are still in play. What I will tell you, the biggest uh, hope, it's not a rumor, but it's a hope and a dream that Republican pundits um, are saying is that if we win the House, the Speaker of the House doesn't have to be a politician. And their dream is that then Trump becomes Speaker of the House in 2022. Oh, wow. He, He pulls the 25th on Joe Biden, and then we see who moves into the presidency. But there's a lot of talk about that. Right. Well, that's fascinating. Very glad you've shared that with us. That's Jan Halper-Hayes, who is the former worldwide vice president of Republicans overseas, and she was a member of Donald Trump's 2020 presidential campaign. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at Mel Plus or me at Tory Boy Pierce. So day three of the trial of the British socialite Ghislaine Maxwell begins in New York City today. The court's already seen testimonies from her first accuser, identified only as Jane, as well as um, Jeffrey Epstein's longtime pilot, Larry Vysotsky, who named notable passengers on his plane, including former President Bill Clinton, former President Donald Trump, and, of course, our own Prince Andrew. I'm joined now by Stephen Wright, who is Associate Editor of Investigations at The Mail, and he's also host, of course, of the Mail Plus True Crime podcast, Beyond Reasonable Doubt, who's in New York for the trial. Stephen, fascinating. Um, uh, have we learnt much so far? Well, it's been billed as the trial of the decade, and we're only just about to enter day three of the trial here I always felt that this was going to be an explosive trial. Um, I didn't think it'd be so explosive, Andrew, right from the very off. You know, in my nearly three decades at the mail, I've never seen a day one of a trial like this because over here you can have um, prosecution and defence statements at the outset of the trial. That's very rare in the UK. Only in exceptional circumstances do you have that. But here on day one, we had... Uh, a, a, a very highly charged prosecution opening statement about uh, the alleged abuse, the serving up of victims for uh, Jeffrey Epstein to abuse by Ghislaine Maxwell, the defendant. Uh, that's according to the prosecution. Uh, some lurid detail about what allegedly happened, and then a very aggressive response from the defence about the their position, which is that. Um, the accusers' uh, 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 accounts are not correct. 
that they, uh, their brains have been polluted by money-grabbing civil uh, litigation lawyers, uh, and the battle lines have been drawn. So I think what we've seen really are the opening sort of um, salvos in what's going to be a really keenly contested six-week trial. And the the evidence of the first uh, accuser, Denford, only is Jane, only 14, Stephen, when the abuse, alleged abuse happened. Yeah, she she says, uh, and I was in court uh, yesterday, uh, she said uh, that from the ages of 14 to 16, uh, she was uh, uh, abused by Jeffrey Epstein. Ghislaine Maxwell was present and uh, allegedly was involved in some of that abuse. Some of the evidence was really harrowing uh, and... Um, she broke down at one stage when she talked about an incident she said happened at uh, Epstein's uh, New Mexico ranch uh, when she went there as a guest. And uh, according to her account, Glenn Maxwell came into the guest bedroom where she was staying in the middle of the night and said that Jeffrey wants to see you. And she, her heart sank, uh, she said, because she knew what was coming. This is her account. I mean, today... Uh, Wednesday, she will be under further cross-examination from the defence, where no doubt she will be asked some difficult questions. Um, it's their job to, to defend their client as they see fit. I, I was going to say, Ghislaine Maxwell's lawyers have to somehow, Stephen, discredit this young woman. Well, she not, she, I mean, uh, uh, and to uh, muddy the waters almost. Well, you know, they have that legal obligation to defend their client as they see fit. And how they see justice, that, that's how the system works. I mean, it, it's, it's a tricky uh, challenge for them because in the era we live in, Me Too movement, um, victims' rights, uh, you know, uh, far more um, respected, shall we say, than they were uh, previously uh, before that era, um, to accuse uh, uh, an accuser of lying uh, you run the risk of alienating yourself from the jury. So, you know, they have to get the balance right, as I see it. We're able to commentate on this, by the way, because the rules allow us to. It's not a, a court trial in, in, in the UK. So people might be listening thinking, why are we commentating? Well, we can. And Stephen, just finally, what of her demeanour, Ghislaine Maxwell? You were in court yesterday. You saw her. Is she composed and calm? Or would you say, is she is she a bag of nerves? How is she doing? Uh, I would say, I mean, we've heard for weeks and months from her family that she's been tortured, she suffered abuse in prison. Well, I, I haven't seen any evidence of that. If that did happen, then she's made a remarkable recovery. She seems relaxed. She seems attentive. She is well-dressed. Although she's got a mask on, I don't see any bruising. She's quite tactile with her defence team, and she seems really up for it. It's, uh, you know, it's, it wasn't quite what I and many others were expecting. But she's involved in the fight of her life. And um, she and her star-studded legal team are certainly up for it. Very interesting. That's Stephen Wright, Associate Editor of Investigations here at the Mail, who is, of course, the host of the true crime podcast, Beyond Reasonable Doubt. Thanks for joining us. Deputy Sports Editor Matt Gatwood's here with the latest sports news. So that boring tennis player, Joanna Conter, has quit. 
She has, yes, age 30. So mm. a bit of a surprise. I mean, yeah. To be fair, we have seen it coming. She's made a few hints in the past yeah. uh, that she might call it a day. Uh, she's had problems with a knee injury that's never really cleared up. Um, and that uh, that coupled with the fact that she's always said uh, quite publicly that she wants to start a family mm. uh, has meant that she has called it a day, yeah. So uh, a shame, really. Yeah, she was in, She was our number one player. She, she was got for to, a while, yeah. She got to Wimbledon semi-final. But Indeed, her, her yeah. Form was had drifted off quite a lot, hadn't it? It had, yeah. She sort of it was it was only a sort of short window where she was performing to that level. So mm. she suddenly from you know, she was good and she looked promising and then suddenly whammo, she had this sort of two brilliant seasons. Uh as you say, got to the Wimbledon semi final, uh did well in Australia as well. And uh, you know, we hope we, we hope she'd kick on from there. Mm. And then what with injuries and loss of form, chopping and changing her coaching staff that she could never quite settle on, uh meant that yeah, it, she dropped off quite quickly again. And obviously now Emma Raducanu came right. from nowhere Upstate to overtake her. Uh, to upstage, yeah. So uh, sad news that she's called it a day, uh, and we wish her well for the future. We don't do we? wish her well. I still thought she was incredibly boring. Did you ever see her on the Graham Norton <laughs> show? It was a complete darker. She clearly never watched the show before. No, I don't think I did see her. Uh, no. And she didn't realise it was uh, its humour. Yeah. And, because she doesn't have any. You've of got that. to buy into. I remember seeing Arsene Wenger on there, who oh, was similarly yeah. all at sea. Not didn't a good seem idea. to know what was going Always on. Always check what you're letting yourselves in for yeah, before indeed. you do these. Indeed. Now Newcastle, they've got a new manager, and um, uh, they shot themselves in the foot last night. Well, extraordinary. It was the first uh, home game that Eddie Howe, uh, the new manager who obviously took over from Steve Bruce, uh, has been able to be at because of mm. COVID stopped right. him being at his first game. Uh, subsequently, he was on the uh, touchline for the away game at the weekend. So this was his first game big crowd in uh, great atmosphere um, Newcastle started reasonably well then 10 minutes in their centre half gets himself sent off mm, yeah. uh, with the most ridiculously stupid Kieran Clark it was ridiculously pulled a guy back who was clean through um, as he looked to, he was sort of trying to atone for his own error uh, because he failed to clear it properly pulled the guy back uh, Pookie the Norwich striker who was clean through on goal I mean it was just the most blatant obvious red mm. card uh, and just not what you need when you haven't won all season. Have um, they not won a match? They haven't won a match this season, okay. so we're 14 in now. Mm. No team's ever uh, started a Premier League season losing their first 14 games and managed to stay up. Mm. Uh, so Eddie Howe's got his work cut out. It was a so shocking start to the game. Newcastle then managed to take the lead, actually, you mm. know, with 10 men. Took the lead, then Norwich equalised late on uh, through a sort of goalkeeping error again, so shooting themselves in the foot. And, they, you know, at the very end, they were lucky they didn't give it away because there was another uh, mistake from Shah, uh, the Newcastle, uh, the other Newcastle centre-half, which could have led to Norwich winning it. So uh, in the end, despite their best efforts to uh, to completely nobble themselves. They managed mm. to get a point. But yeah, for them, a point against uh, relegation rivals Norwich uh, is it, you know wasn't enough. They were really looking for three points last night. They're bottom of the table, haven't got a win. Mm. Eddie Howe's got his work cut out to turn this one round. Uh, obviously, you know, he can go shopping in January because they'll have all this money, mm. but massive problem. What players want to go and join a club who yeah. are fighting relegation? And has the Saudi takeover gone through? Yes, yeah, so it's all gone through. They should have, you know, decent amount of funds to spend mm. in January but as I say that's uh, that okay if Might you're mid-table or if you're top five that's mm. okay but if you're bottom of the table who'd you buy who who's going to want to come uh, and get stuck into a relegation battle halfway through a season who is of uh, adequate quality that you then want mm. them the following season so it's going to be tough and interesting very interesting. Now, Gabriel sees off a baseball bat-wielding attacker. I thought you'd like that. Yeah, yeah, what's that about? Yeah, Who's so, Gabriel? So he's the Arsenal's Brazilian centre-half. Right. Uh, 
Gabrielle, who is a 23-year-old lad, mm. uh, a story, exclusive story in today's Sports Mail. He was followed home by um, by uh, some would-be thieves who followed him into the garage and they met police. What, followed his car? Followed his car. Uh, I, I don't know what they were on, presumably on bikes or something, mm. or, you know, as in motorbikes. Followed his car back. As he pulled into his garage, got out of his garage, they all, uh, what's a couple of them, uh, ran in, one with a with a baseball bat, made him hand over his uh, his watch and the keys to to his car. Um, and, and obviously he had this baseball bat in his hand. So Gabriel eventually sort of, he handed over his watch, handed over the keys. Yeah. Uh, then they sort of, a bit of an altercation. So it's quite uh, hazy on the footage uh, that the Met Police <coughs> released. Um, but he eventually pushes him away. The guy's hat falls off. Subsequently, using the DNA found in his hat, they uh, they managed to uh, find him and arrest him, Good. and he's now um, been sent down. Yeah, scary story for yeah. the Arsenal defender, but yeah, we, they they got the guy in the end. So very, very glad interesting. To hear that. And can rain save England? This is cricket, presumably. Yes. Yeah, so the forecast. So the Ashes start next week. I know mm. you're excited and you're looking Can't forward wait. to it. You Can't know wait. you're going to be sitting up. Yeah, yeah I know yeah. it's going to make you tired. Glued. And you'll be tired because you'll be up through the night, but it'll be worth it. Yes. So it's meant to start next Tuesday night. Mm. Uh, next Wednesday at the Gabba in Brisbane but the forecast so England are playing their second warm-up match at the moment mm. the first warm-up match was completely rained out right. the second warm-up match we're two days into a four-day game not a ball has been bowled in anger oh because of the wet weather um, and so ne and now the forecast for next week when they're meant to play in the first test is pretty bleak as well so Rather than England being one down, which we all thought going into the Adelaide test, they may actually be saved by the rain. They may go into the Adelaide test at nil-nil. How fascinating. I know, but that's not what we want. Obviously, no, we'd love them to win it but on the pitch. But, but yeah, you don't expect it. It's very rare that you see, you know, tests rained and off it is, in Australia. And it, it is the Australian summer, or we're coming into the Australian summer. Yeah, but now. it's hammering down everywhere, all across the country. Sydney's wet. Mm. Um I've got so, friends who've just gone on holiday there. They're not going to be right. very happy, are they? Well, they need to say it'll be warm, but it, it'll be yeah. warmer than here, but it's going to yeah. be wet. So, yeah, so they, they may be that um, that it scuppers the whole... I mean, you know, who knows? They may be able to get yeah. five days or will some I, play. How will I cope without five days of test cricket I, next Don't week? worry, because I think they'll show highlights and stuff if oh, there's no sorry, play on, so you can yeah. just sit through old Ashes exactly. series and reruns. Jeffrey Boycott and all that sort of thing. So, that sort exactly, of thing. so there'll be plenty to watch, so don't worry. I'm looking forward to it. Deputy Sports Editor Matt Gatwood, as ever. Thanks for joining us. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at Mel Plus or me at Tor Boy Are you missing out on online bargains due to scalper bots? Scalper what, you're asking? Quite. Uh, online scalpers have apparently created automated software to buy up this year's most sought-after Christmas gifts so they can then resell them at uh, inflated prices. Tom Platt is head of e-commerce at Netasia, a company which makes bot-detecting software which helps websites defend themselves against these scalpers. Uh, Tom, um, you're going to have to take me through this step by step. I've never heard of uh, a scalper bot. How does it work? So if you think of a, a scalper bot like any other piece of software, really, um, in the same way that you might install Word onto your computer, you can download a bot, it's very much like a computer program. You can put it on your computer. And what that bot will go and do is it will go and hunt the internet for the item that you're looking for. Um, and then depending on the level of sophistication of that bot, it might look at one site. It might look at hundreds of websites. Um, it might just let you know that the item's in stock or it might completely purchase the, the item for you as soon as it does come in stock. So essentially a piece of software that you can get that will automate the finding and purchasing of an item on an online shop. 
But what's happening, I gather, with these online shopping robots, they're being used by people before ordinary customers, I'd call myself an ordinary customer, get a look in. Is that right? That's, that's absolutely correct. So I think the thing that really makes it unfair for the consumer and the real advantage of these bots is they are able to constantly check websites as to whether something's in stock, you know, often almost every second, sometimes less than every second. So the bots enable their users to understand before anyone else when the stock's there. And these bots can also automate the purchase of that item, which they can, you know, they can purchase in seconds, um, obviously far quicker than any human could could ever hope to check out on one of these websites. And what sort of gifts are they targeting, Tom? Uh, I, I know Lego is always a perennially popular at Christmas. Are Lego set some of the things that they're going for? Absolutely. So we're seeing these bots target a raft of things. Obviously, the most common one, the thing that's kind of been a real theme of the year has been game consoles due to the chip and supply shortages. So a lot of games consoles, a lot of children will want games consoles this year, and they are proving very hard to get hold of. A lot of those are on sale on the secondary sites. But we are also, we've seen them target limited edition advent calendars. We have seen them target toys. Lego, as you mentioned, we have seen being targeted in some sets already sold out and on sale on the retail market. If you have a child that's young, then you might have heard of Coco Melon. So some of the major sort of toys from TV programs also being targeted um, and on sale on the secondary market already and already sold out even before we sort of got into December. And of course, people are so desperate to buy these presents for their kids at Christmas. Presumably, they're shelling out the money. That's exactly it. I mean, I think there is a market here because people are so desperate to get their hands on these goods because... They want them for the children. It's Christmas. No one wants to let their, their child down at Christmas. And yes, often the, these items are at least 100, sometimes several hundred pounds more. Quite often, you know, double, sometimes triple the price, depending on the, you know, how much people want them, how much of a limited edition item it actually is. It's fascinating. Um, is there any way this practice can be stopped, Tom, or is that just one of the vagaries of the market? There is absolutely ways to stop this. I think one of the challenges at the moment is that the bots are sort of really taking advantage of a market where there is more and more shopping online. So physical retail's not as big, it's been slowing down. So the ability for the retailer to sell the, the stock in store has become more difficult and everyone's pushing online. There is also, you know, there are options for retailers to take in terms of stopping this bot traffic online. A lot of retailers, particularly in the UK, try and do a lot to make it very difficult for these actors. But the challenge we have as, as a country and really as a market is that there are websites that don't have protection. And wherever that's the case, if, if every website selling the same thing, if there are a group of those websites that don't have protection, it, you know, they're, they're ultimately going to be targeted uh, and they're going to drive up drive up the market and that's what we're seeing here so a lot of retailers are doing a lot of hard work behind the scenes to make this very difficult and they've been quite successful working with companies like ourselves and others but there are obviously still a lot of retailers that aren't protected um, and you know they're being exploited by these actors. Certainly they are. That's Tom Platt he's head of e-commerce at uh, Netaseer which is a company which makes bot detecting software which can help websites defend themselves against these scalpers. Thanks very much for joining us, Tom. That was really interesting. That's Tom Platt. That's all we've got time for today. For the latest from the Daily Mail, download the Mail Plus app. Every weekday at 5pm, you can listen to me all over again. I'm Andrew Pierce. This is The Andrew Pierce Show. I'll be back tomorrow. Have yourselves a great evening and good night. Good night.